Hi, my name is Jason Bosch. And I'm Doug McKenty. And we, uh, I met Doug through, uh, I was on his show several months ago, and um, we, we connected through uh, Allison McDowell, who was also on his show. And um, mm-hmm. we found out that we, we, we agreed on a lot of different issues, but we also had some disagreements. And, but what was lovely about it was we were actually able to have a civil conversation. And, um, and so Doug came up with the idea of us doing a show together, a series together, where we kind of outline, you know, what the differences are from like people coming at this from a different political or ideological backgrounds, but uh, but mm-hmm. have the agreement that there's something seriously wrong with those in power and with the systems that we're all operating within. So um, so that's what this is. We're doing this uh, the series to uh, try to hash some of these things out in a in a in a respectful manner. <laughs> so Doug, do you want to say something yeah. uh, with regards to that? Sure. I mean, I just wanted to start out by telling my own story and letting the audience know. I mean, I just started I just to go back even to to my awakening into politics in general. I was raised in a Republican household. I think a lot of people tend to just pick up whatever their, you know, their parents belief system. Um, But as I became more politically aware, I became more and more libertarian. And then I uh, I got into uh, reading more and more, I started reading some Murray Rothbard, uh, guys like that, the, the real hardcore uh, Austrian economists, and uh, eventually came to identify as what people call uh, anarcho-chasm. And that was just my political perspective for a long time. Uh, it was probably eight to 10 years later before I really even met any other anarchists. This was before the internet was popular and I ran into these guys and they were anarcho-communists. And I hadn't realized that there was this whole other branch of anarchy that had this completely different perspective uh, on historical and economic evolution and had kind of fallen on the side of of the left, of the left-right paradigm. I was so excited just to meet uh, other anarchists. To me, it's like, how many anarchists are there in the world? And maybe, you know, if we agree on that, then then we should be, um, you know, pretty solidly agreeing on a lot of other things. But there was this uh, real dichotomy um, between our our belief systems, and you know, we weren't really getting along. We didn't want to talk about politics together. It just was kind of surprising. And then uh, as time moved on, eventually, there was Facebook. And I got into a different uh, anarchist groups on Facebook, uh, excited again just to meet other anarchists. Like, hey, how can we organize? How can we work together? And very, very quickly, all of the groups just devolved into these outrageous arguments between the ANCOMs and the ANCAPs. Like, you guys are idiots. This is crazy. You have no idea what you're talking about. You know, the typical bickering that goes on. And I just... Now, I mean, that was 10 years ago or more, and and I have been for 10 years trying to understand how can we overcome this left-right paradigm. Um, I got more and more after 9-11 into looking into what really happened, uh, got more and more involved in the truth movement. And uh, again, maybe just from my own particular perspective, uh, I got into it and discovered that a lot of libertarians seem to be 
uh, more open-minded to these ideas that there was this uh, kind of group of very, very wealthy people. In fact, I, th I always thought it was ironic that as a libertarian, I'd be trying to explain to my progressive friends, yes, here's how the monopoly capitalists have uh, centralized the means of production into their own hands. And this is what we need you know, to be, to be working against. So we should be unified working against this. And they would typically laugh and call me a conspiracy theorist. You know, <laughs> it's just like, okay, you know, I feel like I'm even trying to explain this to you in your own terms. Um, but you're, you're not seeing how it's working. Um, my solution to monopoly capitalism is, is a true free market, but we're not even getting to that conversation because there's always then just this instant conflict between the left and the right and, and unifying the two of these uh, has been so important and yet so impossible to me. Um, so it's just been something that's really been on my mind and I've been working towards um, trying to figure out how to wake people up to the idea of, of the amount of control that the upper classes have. Um, but then also trying to figure out how to get beyond this left-right divide so that we can start working together against what's really going on here, just in terms of practical political organization. Um, and then it seemed like when Bernie Sanders lost the primary to Hillary Clinton in 2016, there was a bit of a turning point, and I started to see a lot more progressives enter into the, the truther space. Uh, which I was really happy to see because I've been waiting for those guys, you know, at least again, from my experience, maybe there are other groups out there that were more left wing that were awakening uh, to this uh, alternative narrative about what's really been going on historically and, and just how much the upper classes have been able to control things. But it was in that 2016, 2017 range when I started seeing a lot of progressive friends come over uh, and then we really started to have this vibrant conversation. What's really going on? What are the solutions? And I was excited about that. Uh, and yet here, just maybe four or five, six months ago, uh, I think we've, as a, as a collective, as a movement, there's been a lot of research that's been happening about technocracy with COVID. Uh, people started really looking at the World Economic Forum and what was up. And uh, and then really seeing the connections between like, oh, this is what's happening with COVID, right? We've got this technocratic movement and people have been talking in, in more general terms prior to this about concerns with Agenda 21 and world government and the public-private partnerships and even the technocratic movement. But with COVID, clearly it started to look like things were were getting implemented you know a lot of these th theories that people have been having were, were coming to pass right in front of our very eyes and so uh, we're getting a lot the spotlights really turning on the technocratic movement and what's been going on and suddenly there was this conflict within the scene between the more libertarian-minded people and i was one of them who had been excited to see uh, the cryptocurrency space growing uh, as a way to combat, uh, in our minds, the, the central banks and the fiat currency monopolies that, uh, in, in my mind, certainly are so destructive in terms of getting wealth to the people and principally responsible for sucking wealth and productivity up into the hands of, of those that control the banking system. So the hope was that the cryptocurrency would provide a, a free marketing currency 
uh, and could liberate a lot of people from uh, carrying the yoke of, you know, of this debt-based uh, fiat currency system that is clearly so oppressive. Uh, and then, but then, uh, of course, as we're getting into learning more and more about technocracy, we're discovering that these central bank digital currencies are coming online. Uh, these centralized currencies that through the blockchain can then gather so much data and information about what's happening in our lives. Every time we spend money, how are we going to make money? You know, that it's turning into uh, as much of a control mechanism as those libertarian minded amongst us. We're hoping it could be a tool for liberation. And so then this conversation started happening and suddenly it reminded me like I'm having post-traumatic flashbacks of, of my time on the anarcho capital, you know, the anarchy uh, pages on Facebook where it's like, oh man, we're running into these same brick walls over and over again, having these conversations. And it just reminded me so much of that this left-right paradigm still exists. I mean, even in, you know, and I'm the first one to admit it, I came at this from a libertarian place and I have that you know, those biases, that that belief system in, inside of me, and I'm still working on it. I mean, it's been years and years since I've been like, oh, you know, clearly the left-right paradigm is, is another tool that the upper classes are using to divide and conquer us. Um, and I've been trying to transcend the left-right paradigm in my own mind, but I do have some fundamental beliefs that make it challenging. And um, so when this this conflict occurred in the truther space. I, I was really paying attention and I was really trying to figure out how can we overcome this and transcend this and, and figure out a unifying philosophy to where those that came into the space from a more progressive place, uh, more socialistic or even anarcho-communist space, um, can how can we thrift between those of us you know, who came into it from this libertarian space. And then those of us who have come into it from this progressive space. I mean, what really is going on? And that was when uh, I decided to have you on, on my show, the shift with Doug McKinty. And we were able to hash out some of these differences and even the differences of opinion. And what I loved about talking with you is that we didn't get into those conflicts. I mean, like it's possible to have an adult conversation where we can respect each other's differences and try to get to the heart of what are these differences and what is the middle path or a unifying philosophy that can get us past these differences so that we can work together more effectively against the clear and present danger of the, the technocratic elite that are making these moves. And we are going to be living in essentially a slave society, I think, if we don't get together. Uh, so it's really important to me to try to figure out you know, what is the unifying philosophy? How can we get over some of these fundamental disagreements, stop bickering at each other, stop accusing each other of being, oh, you must be controlled opposition because you think different than me. You know, all, all of these things that come up, all of these uh, aggressive or passive aggressive tendencies, when people get triggered, I mean, I've been coming at it now from a more of a psychological angle, because I, I don't even think it's a logical thing. I think it there's something emotional that's happening in people that's creating these rifts. And, and when confronted with the opposing point of view, we actually get triggered into uh, conflict, 
rather than being able to ground ourselves and, and have the critical conversations with each other that we need to have uh, having respect for each other's feelings and, um, and then being able to overcome the differences and discover the unifying philosophy behind it all that so, so that we can, you know, actually organize effectively uh, a political movement that could do something to fight these, uh, these guys in the upper classes that have so much control. There just aren't enough people in the truth movement to be having these conflicts with each other. There's no way, you know, so we have to get, we have to get away from this left, right paradigm and this divide and conquer tactic. And, um, and so I wanted to produce this show with you, Jason, because I really felt like you and I can have these conversations. We can get to the heart of the differences of opinion that we have, and then we can figure out how we can get past it. Maybe we can come up with the compromise. I don't know if it's a compromise. I don't even know, you know, what is it going to look like? Because there are some fundamental things that I believe in. Uh, and I don't know if we even really have disagreements about about the fundamentals, but and maybe just having, I think actually definitely having a good conversation about it. We'll, we'll naturally, we'll discover what those commonalities are between our feelings. Uh, and that'll start to break down some of these walls that, that divide us in terms of the left-right paradigm in general. So I really appreciate that you agree to do this with me. And I think it's going to be super productive. And I hope people are as excited as I am about uh, hashing through these differences and learning that we don't you know, like we don't hate each other, right? We're not enemies. <laughs> we're trying to, we're trying to figure out the best way to get through this, uh, for the good of all people. Uh, and if we have disagreements about what that future may look like, I mean, that's, that's, that's just a part of life. Um, but, uh, figuring out how to get through these, these difficult issues right now so that we can work together effectively uh, for the bigger picture is just, I think, super important. So I hope the people who are listening to this, you know, feel the same way and are as excited as I am about uh, maybe hashing through some of these issues and, and, uh, and breaking down some of these barriers. So I'll, I'll just say a little bit about kind of my background um, and, you know, from a political standpoint, I've always been mm -hmm. kind of, you know, from high school, I started to get into politics and, thinking about the the bigger world, I guess you would say. <clears throat> I think the Gulf War had a big influence on me. The war was going on, and I was just kind of like glued to the TV, watching it every day, like, what is going on here? What is this all about? And um, I mean, looking back at it is kind of funny because uh, my understanding of the war was completely skewed uh, because, the, of course, the the media was presenting this, this, um, this false... Uh, television war essentially and um, yeah. but at the time I didn't know that but I started to listen to talk radio and a lot of it was kind of like libertarian talk radio a lot of stuff that I don't even agree with nowadays but there was you know one thing that I do still agree with was there was a strong thread of a belief in liberty and I I'm a strong yeah. believer in liberty and uh and, and a distrust of power and a distrust of the government um, now the problem you know, that I found with the libertarians was that their focus was solely on the government and less so on the corporations and the banks. And they, it seems like since then they've, they've come around to like, oh yeah, the banks are bad too. And the corporations are bad. But, um, yeah. the problem is, and, and, but another thing I realized is like everything that's wrong with the government is, uh, 
is not doing it for its own benefit. It's doing it for the benefit of these banks and corporations and these private individuals. So there was, I saw a conflict within the libertarian thing, but I've never been a Republican. I've never been a Democrat. The first time I ever voted was for Ross Perot. <laughs> and and yeah. I voted for him because of NAFTA. So I was here, I is, I'm, I'm in high school, I'm like learning about NAFTA. Uh, so I've been thinking about these issues for a very long time. And I didn't see it as a left or right issue. I just saw that as, you know, the problems with NAFTA are still with us today of globalization. You know, that was one of the first big, uh, I, I think that was the first like major free trade agreement. And again, free trade, like this is the language of the um, libertarians. You know, we want free trade, free trade. So, mm -hmm. you know, I, I've been trying to figure this out and like map all this out. Now, I don't actually like the the framing of it as the left-right paradigm. And the reason why is because it implies that there is a linear, there's a linear um, uh, graph or something, and then the right's over here and the left's over here. Did I, I'm backwards on yeah. the screen. I don't know if I did that right. But you know what I mean? Like I, it, it, the the reality of, of, of the situation is more like a, um, a crazy Venn diagram that's got like, hundreds of circles that overlap. I mean, that's, that's kind of the way I look at it because you'll find people agree on this issue, but then they'll, they'll, they'll have this one wedge issue that they, they're just staunch about. And then they'll just throw all these other issues out the window because this one issue and the po politicians of mm -hmm. course know that. Um, so a lot of my background really was just coming at this from a perspective of human rights and the and and a concern for the environment. That's really what. And so within the human rights, I, I I include liberty, and that's the problem with a lot of people on the left is they don't, um, you know, they, they're looking to government, and obviously we see today they're willing to throw liberty just straight out the window. Uh, but yeah. I I include liberty and civil rights within that that uh, basket of human rights. So in in my twenties, in my mid twenties, I I. Um, I had watched a documentary about Sierra Leone, and I, I, I've always been interested in film and filmmaking, so I had this idea of doing a documentary about the civil war that had been going on there. So I did like massive amounts of research, uh, reading human rights reports and, and just learning everything I could about what was going on in Sierra Leone and, and trying to understand. Like I, I didn't really – I'm like, this, what, what we're being told about it didn't make any sense. It was just this random, this random violence uh, over what, you know, I, I was like, what's causing all of this? Cause I always want to dig to the root. Like, why is, why is this in high school? I used to read lots of books about mass murder and serial killers. <laughs> so you might like, yeah. Oh, what's wrong with this guy? Well, actually I wasn't reading it out of a fascination. Um, I was actually genuinely interested in what causes people to do evil. Essentially, I've always been interested in that. I had some traumatic experiences as a child that it made me really like, like, what the fuck is wrong with people? <laughs> um, so, yeah. but I wanted to understand it, and so I, I ended up kind of like studying Sierra Leone. I wasn't able to make the documentary because I wasn't able to raise the money, but I'd learned there was a Human Rights Watch International Film Festival in New York, so I went out there, attended the festival, and realized that they have a traveling festival. So I said, well, I want to bring this festival to Denver. So I, I, I selected a bunch of films. I rented a theater in Denver and I organized this whole film festival. And then it ended up just growing into a, uh, an annual and then, a, and then, uh, a regular weekly, uh, you know, I, for, so for 17 years, I showed documentaries and brought in guest speakers, authors, like, um, cool. 
and all kinds. I did I did events on a regular basis where we would either show a film or there'd be a, an author or a speaker, and then we would have a discussion. So I would facilitate a discussion afterward. And I've done hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these of these things. I don't even know how many. Uh, definitely over a thousand for sure. But I don't I I couldn't even count uh, over seventeen years on a weekly. You know there was a there was a point where I was doing like you know, five different events a week. Um, so I'm very well versed in a lot of different issues and the films would be on anything from war to poverty, to environmental issues, to economic issues. So here I am, I'm doing these events and under the Bush years, uh, it was, it was easy because we had, you know, everybody hated Bush and it was, it was, my audience was primarily a progressive crowd. And so we would have these discussions, but we were all kind of in agreement that we, you know, we didn't like what was going on here. We didn't like the war. We didn't like, we, you know, we didn't like Bush. We didn't like these free trade agreements that were um, harmful to the environment and harmful to, you know, human life. Um, and then Something happened in 2008. A guy by the name of Barack Obama got elected, and um, I didn't change my tune. I uh, I was still arguing for the same cause that I always argued for before, which is human rights. Um, so, so I realized there was a problem with Obama in that uh, the banks were his largest donors. So I'm like, okay, there's a problem. And then of course the bailout happened, and um, but the the my audience uh, wasn't coming along with me on a lot of my criticism of Obama. Some of them were, some of them weren't. So, uh, you know, my audience kind of split at that point a little bit. And also another thing that happened even before that, but probably around 2005, I started to study the banking system and the monetary system. And I realized... Um, what a massive, massive role that plays in shaping literally everything, <laughs> every issue you can name. Uh, it starts with a bank, and and the more I studied that, the more I realized that there is no solving any of these problems without solving the the money problem. And um, so I was doing lots of events around that, and I found myself at, at the end of every event, what no matter what the film or event was on. Uh, I would be start talking constantly about the monetary system and people's eyes would gloss over and like people, and I was really trying. Like I did, there was one time where I did a two day, full day workshop on money. Um, the first day was called, uh, uh, how, how money is our master. And then the second day was money is our servant. So it was like problem solution. Um, and a lot of people attended that. And, and I think I, you know, some people figured it out, but it was still, most people were still wanting to go to these nonprofits. So that was another piece of my education is starting to take a critical look at the nonprofits and the NGOs. And again, a lot of people on the left don't want to go there because that's the solution. Just like the people, the, the, um, a lot of people within the crypto space don't want to criticize crypt crypto because that's their salvation. So people on the left, the, the, the solution to the problem are these nonprofits and foundations. And I realize that there's a problem there that especially the larger ones are intimately involved with creating the very problems uh, and, and have been from the very beginning. They're, it's, it's part of the business model. And so, um, so the nonprofit thing, the 9-11, I've, I've been involved with the 9-11 truth since the, the very beginning. Like, I think I... 2002, you know, was I first started to question 9/11. I had people bringing me uh, materials, but the the early stuff was kind of coming at it from a Christian point of view, like, 
and some of it was like, oh, this end of times or whatever. And uh, there was there was a lot of biblical stuff in there that that I didn't uh, didn't appeal to me because I'm not I'm not religious. Um, but I did eventually, you know, see that oh, there is there is an issue here. There is a there is a problem with the what we're being told about nine eleven. And then uh, I actually hosted one of the first events. I think it was I'm certainly it was the first event on nine eleven truth in Colorado. I got involved with the. Uh, Colorado 9-11 um, Visibility Project, um, which is now Colorado 9-11 Truth. But um, we hosted a guy named Barry Zwicker out of uh, Canada, one of the first journalists to actually uh, ring the raise the alarm about 9-11. And so that was another issue that not everyone was coming along with uh, on, you know, the, the conspiracy, you know, you can't, you can't talk about conspiracy. Um, another event that I did that, that, uh, pushed pushed more people away <laughs> was uh I did uh I showed a documentary called House of Numbers which was questioning the HIV hypothesis for the being the the cause of AIDS and of course Fauci and a lot of stuff we're seeing nowadays it turns out um uh directly connect to that issue. Um, so I hosted that film. I brought the filmmaker Brett Leung into uh, Colorado and ho- rented a theater and angered some people. Like some people were really, really mad at me. But I'm like, I can't. I mean, the guy has actual, Luc Montagnier, and he's act- he has the actual scientists on, on this documentary basically exposing themselves to be... Um, you know, deceptive at best and, and exposing problems within the system. And my thing is like, Hey, if there's a problem within the system, let's fix it. You know, let's, let's talk about it. But people are like, no, we have to defend it at all costs. So I've had this long journey where I've never really been, um, Allison once said I'm politically homeless. I, I would say I've always been politically homeless. I've never been a member of any of these groups. In fact, in 2011, I went to Philadelphia and I was the campaign manager for a woman by the name of Sherry Honkala who ran for sheriff. She was the first woman to run for sheriff of Philadelphia under the Green Party. And she ran on a zero evictions platform. And so this is just a few years after the bank bailouts. And it was also the summer that the um, Occupy was happening in Philadelphia. And so there's a lot going on. Um, but Sherry ran into the Green Party on a zero evictions platform because it's the sheriff's uh, that actually does the evictions. That's kind of the primary role that sheriffs play in this world right now. But the, I, the interesting thing is that sheriffs actually have a lot of um, sovereign power within the system. And so there's a potential there where if you had some sheriffs that wanted to stand up and um, do the right thing, they would actually have some teeth. Uh, it wouldn't just be um, symbolic. And that's my, that was a lot of the problem that I have with the left, too, is a lot of the stuff they do is just symbolic and uh, amounts to absolutely nothing. Uh, let's write a, you know, I'm, I'm showing a documentary about, you know, crimes that are being committed, um, the, the unconstitutional things that our politicians are doing. And the answer is, well, let's write a letter to them. Like, well, they don't care about the constitution or the law. Like, they, do you think they give a shit about your letter? You know, I, I, I just, and it wasn't, that's not being cynical. It's just being real. You know, I'm like, let's put our energy into something that will actually change things. But that starts with being completely honest. And so um, then all of a sudden the, this COVID thing happened. And well, it, let me, let me go back. The um, 2000, um, 16 election, uh, you know, I voted for Obama 
in 2008, I plugged my nose and I, I knew he wasn't, he was going to be a, a, you know, I knew he wasn't going to be what they, people thought he was going to be, but I, we were, I was just tired of Bush and I'm like, okay, fine, I'll vote for Obama. And then in, when he ran for a second time, I just made the decision, I will never, ever, ever again vote against my conscience. And if that means not voting, if that mean, means voting for uh, someone down the block from me who's only going to get one vote, my vote, or whatever. Uh, so I voted for Jill Stein, even though I don't agree with everything, uh, you know, all the positions that she has. So, um, but on the Green Party thing, so people say, oh, you ran a, you, you voted for Jill Stein and you, um, you ran a campaign for a Green Party person. You must be a Green Party member. No, I'm not. I don't support any political party. Um, I agree with the Green Party on on a lot of things. I disagree with them on a lot of things. Um, so I, I again, I don't belong to any. You know, I'm I'm a free thinker. <laughs> so um, so 2016 is the election with um, Hillary Clinton and uh, Bernie Sanders. Of course, Bernie Sanders had had his. Um, the primary stolen from him. That was pretty clear. I was actually there in uh, Philadelphia. In fact, the woman Sherry that I ran for sheriff ran that ran for sheriff. Uh, we did a, an event outside of the uh, the convention, and it was it was called Beans for Hillary, um, and so we were serving beans to people outside uh, to have a fart in <laughs> because the whole process stunk. That was the whole idea of it. It was just a comedy, you know, like going back to the old sixties, like comedy, you know, activism sort of thing. But, um, but I, but, you know, but from that point, again, I had a lot of people really, really mad at me because, oh my God, there's this guy named Trump and we cannot let Trump in. So we need to support Hillary. And I'm like, I don't support Trump and I don't support Hillary. Absolutely no on both of those, but that's not an option. You know, you have to pick one of them. And so that, that was another further rift. So I'm, my whole process, you know, it was like from like 2001 to like um, 2008 was me building up this audience of people that were to have these discussions and growing, growing something. And then from 2008 on was just just the disintegration of, of everything, a, a, a process of disintegration. Uh, and now coming back to what we're here to talk about, which is because of these, these dis there's some fundamental disagreements that we would, that we have, like to me, Liberty is off the table. You want to take away my rights. That's not even an option. Like I'm not going there. Like I can agree. We can have a discussion about, um, healthcare or uh, other issues. And even those discussions are complicated because the left is like, we want everyone to have healthcare. And I agree. I want everyone to have healthcare and I think it should be free. I actually think it should be a public utility. Um, I want good healthcare though. Like the healthcare system we have right now is shit. And you have people on the left that are like, we need to get these poisonous drugs to Africans. And I'm like, that's your activism to to fight for, to get these pharmaceutical drugs in the in in the bodies of Africans. I mean, I like I'm not going there with you on that one. But yes, I want healthcare. I want us all to have healthcare. But I want us to have good healthcare. And what we have right now is shit. Uh, so, anyways, uh, COVID happens, and uh, it was a process. I've been learning. Uh, uh, this whole ever since it started, I've been studying like almost daily. Uh, uh, about what's what's behind it, and of course that leads to the World Economic Forum and their 
Great Reset slash Fourth Industrial Revolution. It's a process that I'm in the middle of, but it's also it's it's I think hopefully it's the final. <laughs> The division has finally is done, and now we can start to build back up again. Uh, that was a very long thing, but um, I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> well, I, am I am I unmuted? Yeah, now? yeah, no, you're good. You're, you're good. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I I really think uh, it's it's good to get the background of what's going on. I mean, it's kind of funny to hear um, your experience. I think was pretty similar to mine, almost on the other side of the spectrum, and in that you had, uh, you know, lots of progressives that were following your work in Denver, listening to the documentaries. And then as you got more conspiratorial, you know, they started kind of dropping like flies or certain topics wouldn't fly or, you know, Obama comes in and this is, I mean, this is exactly how they use the left, right paradigm, right? I mean, Obama came in and did exactly the same thing as Bush was doing, but people because he was a democrat con conceived of it as somehow you know no no now now it's totally different and then um even when trump came in i felt like i you know it's i i'm getting to a place where i feel like the entire political dialogue that's happening in the, in the mainstream is just contrived and more often than not it's it is controlled opposition and it is creating uh, you know, creating wedge issues that are just designed to divide and conquer all the people so that, um, so that we can't unite against what's actually happening. And it's really frustrating because then even as a part of the truth movement, when we bump into a wedge issue where maybe we don't see eye to eye, I mean, maybe like we can talk about like racial conversations that have been going on. Um, you know, the idea of white privilege, let's say like a person from the right might think, you know, I don't even like using that term. Whereas a person from the left, uh, and I think racism is just another divide and conquer tactic. <laughs> well, it's and, challenging and we're because it again, what's well, challenging because a lot of these things are multifaceted. So there is racism yeah. and there is a major problem with particularly our police and people of color in, in the use right. in stopping them unnecessarily in uh, searching them unnecessarily and treating them, you know, they, they're, they're definitely treated differently and abused. And it's, and there's, so there's a real problem. Like everyone that's upset about black lives matter should go to a black lives matter rally and just have conversations yeah. with people because it'll, it'll add a lot more layer and context to the thing because yes, black lives matter. You have, uh, this organization that's getting massive funding from billionaires, like they don't give up. Th these people don't give a shit about racial, you know, racism or police brutality. Right. They're it's it's they're using it. They have a they have a, a political and an economic uh, reason for doing what they're doing. But you can't just look at that. The the people that are like upset about the Black Lives Matter need to incorporate the genuine and sincere. Uh, grievances that people have on the street and you might be able to and I, I was really frustrating because I would do the I would go to the marches and I'd see these white people standing on the side road like yelling you idiots and like just yelling at them and it was just like oh, this is so stupid yeah like uh, yeah so I I both uh, agree with the criticisms of Black Lives Matter as a an organized um, funded nonprofit 
um, corporate uh, focused thing. I mean, but I also agree with the protesters. So the question is, how do you how do you find a space in there where you can ha- hash out all of these different things that are going on? It's not just one thing, you know? Right. I mean, I have a, a different story to counter that, actually, which is a friend of mine who was a staunch progressive, uh, found out that a number of her friends were Trump supporters, and they convinced her to go to a Trump rally. And she literally went to the Trump rally with her phone so that she could, you know, capture all of the instances of racism and all, you know, the the uh, horrible actions of these conservative people as she had come to think of a Trump supporter. And she was just blown away. There were lots of people of color at the Trump rally. Everyone was getting along. People were concerned about, you know, individual freedoms. They weren't, uh, you know, it just wasn't at all what they were hearing from the mainstream media. So it's so funny that I think literally Trump supporters and Black Lives Matter people should be hanging out together because they're working towards the same end game. Uh, you know, they re- we all have the same goals. We're all being oppressed by the same group of people, you know, these people that have wealth beyond comprehension or understanding uh, that are clearly taking advantage of the labor of all of us. And while it's possible, certainly to show that some people are being more oppressed than others, uh, you know, we're all in the same boat. And if we don't figure out how to how to unify and the mainstream media is doing exactly the opposite. I mean, the mainstream media is cultivating these divisions. And so many people are listening to this uh, that it's it really creates a lot of problems. And and then people I think people need to stop even self-identifying as as part of a group so much and realize that uh, all individuals are different. We all have different perspectives and different issues that we care about. And the more that we identify with the group, the easier it is for the group to spoon feed our belief systems. I mean, I've seen, you know, especially with COVID in the last year, I found that my, my progressive friends are the ones that are being what I consider radicalized into fascism uh, way more than these Trump supporters. I mean, to where I'm afraid to speak out in my community because I'm, you know, the lynch mobs aren't out yet. But I mean, if I walked into the grocery store without a mask on, my God, you know, it'd be close. (laughs) What's funny on that, because people argue with me online about about that as if we're just having a debate. And I'm like, there's a huge difference between my side and your side in that I'm actually just trying to... um, I'm not trying to tell anybody else what to do for first of all. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm trying to protect my own rights to to have my own choice over my own body and and also my own rights coming here in the near future to uh, still be able to participate in society based on my own personal choices. And they their argument is actually by, backed by state and corporate violence and threats of exclusion. So there's right. a huge difference when you when you're having a conversation with someone uh, when on one side of it actually has um, all the police forces behind them essentially. I mean, you know, basically you go you can't shop. You got to do this. Are they going to, you know, who knows what what kind of measures they will take in order to uh, coerce or force people into getting the shot, which I re- refuse to do. I've, I've, I've done my research. I don't believe in them. I don't think they're healthy. And I absolutely do not trust the, or, uh, the, the corporations and, and the individuals and, and the bureaucrats and the politicians and the media who are pushing this. 
And yeah. I, I, you know, so there's a huge difference between these two things. Yeah, I mean, I, I think one of the main reasons why we can even have these conversations with the differences that we have is that the two of us both agree in the sovereignty of the individual and the importance of, of individual freedom and, and certainly bodily autonomy, which is it's just shocking to me how few people in this day and age and, and uh, on purpose, purposefully done through the education system, I think, um, have just tossed aside this I, the idea that adults are sovereign and, and should be able to make decisions for themselves. Um, and if you don't have that, I mean, if you're not willing to have that principle behind your political actions, I think that you you really go down a very, very dangerous road uh, because you're starting to give power to an authority, whatever it is. And that authority then can what do whatever it wants to the the people that it disagree with it. I mean, then you're not living, you know, you're not living in a free society and eventually it's going to turn really ugly. You know, I mean, it, it, and I don't think that's what I, I mean, I'm having to remind my friends these days, like there's a reason why the Nuremberg code was written, right? You know, there's a reason for that. And it's not just because you uh, believe that this particular medicine is good and, and, uh, everyone should take it doesn't give you the right to experiment on everyone, uh, you know, with a medicine that they don't want. I mean, that's a serious crossing a, a, a boundary. Uh, and when you believe that the state is allowed to cross that boundary, I mean, that's when things get ugly and they always get ugly. Um, and that's my biggest concern right now. And, and everyone should be concerned about that. I mean, yeah. Well, um, so. I want to go back to the libertarian thing. Um, I, I, you know, I started out coming at this from a, like a libertarian standpoint, and um, and like I said, I've never been a member of any of the political party. Um, but where I started to 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 diverge from the libertarians was because I do deeply care about human rights and I deeply care about the environment, and it didn't seem like there was much of a concern about at least about the environmental part, you know, recognizing mm -hmm. some of these larger systemic problems. Um, with the the economic system essentially, and and using the language of free markets, for example, and so I started to kind of like, what is this? What is this? What are markets? What are capitalism? What is capitalism? And um, and and realizing right. that you know, I, I, I as as I learned about anarchism and capitalism, I realized, well, wait a minute, and and learned about money. I'm like. Anarchism and capitalism are actually antithetical ideas because capitalism doesn't exist, and it depends on your definition of capitalism. But I'm defining mm -hmm. capitalism as it's it's officially defined, which is the ownership of the media, of, which it's like the ownership of uh, means of production, means of production, and and it's it's through money. It deals with money and banking and Wall Street. I realized mm -hmm. as, at one point, I realized Wall Street Wall Street shouldn't even exist. Like this whole thing is a fiction and it's driving the economy, but it's not actually driving it based on the actual exchange of goods. It's like a thing that's laid on top of the actual markets and actual economy that's extractive. Yeah. The banks and Wall Street and, uh, and venture capitalists and hedge fund managers, they are extractive of the real economy. And, and I realized at, at a certain point that, no, I'm, 
I'm anti-capitalist. I oppose capitalism. I'm not opposed to having markets, real markets, with actual human mm-hmm. beings exchanging goods and services. But I also realize that most of the people that own everything in society, including the land, the intellectual property, which is an insane idea to me. I don't believe in intellectual property at all. I think that's absurd. Um, I also realized a property, I started to study property. And uh, how, do, how do we solve this problem where you have property is a monopoly. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a natural monopoly. And, and I, I was like, well, what I really care about are human rights. A human being has a right to live. So you have a right to have a home based on your right to live. Your right shouldn't be mediated by this this money that's created by um, it's created by private banks with the authority of the state. And so capitalism, Wall Street, none of this stuff exists without the state. It's the state that gives them the authority. It's the government that gives them the authority. Right. So on one hand, the anarcho-capitalists are saying, we hate the government. And on the other hand, they're like defending, uh, in many ways, like corporations and 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 the corporations. I think were were active in actually uh, cultivating that and and realizing that within the libertarians, there. I think the libertarian movement, if were if if it were taken to its logical conclusion, would actually be a great threat to the system because it involves liberty, it involves taking back the power of money creation, it involves the elimination of corporate personhood. Um, yeah, you know, and even even the limited liability corporation is, I, I think, in question here because you have a you have a system that's set up to remove individual human beings from responsibility for their actions, and you know, corporations can you know do damage to the earth and they, they live forever. They could pay a fine; it doesn't matter. They'll just t- put it on the budget. You know, the lawsuits that doesn't mean anything to these corporations. They just they just add it to the you know the ledger. And so there's a right. so a, a, a lot of this I came to this understanding of like what's real you and I are real human beings are real there's there are real physical material goods in the world and and so we want to create whatever systems we create um need to be that needs to be paramount uh, the 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 actual human beings actual communities actual ecology and and not um, mediated. Like, first you need to get money in order to do something that's good. And I think that if you want to do something good, the money should automatically, you should be able to create the money to do it if you need to. Like, somebody goes mm-hmm. on about fiat currency. I have no problem with fiat currency if it's created to do something good. So what's the result that you want? Then you can work from there. But you always, it's like they do it the backwards. They like, well, first let's get money and then we can go to the result. But in getting the money, you have to compromise all your ethics and values and morals. Or, um, so th- I had a real problem. But I still am very, I still consider myself very libertarian. But I'm anti-capitalist. I don't believe in property as a as a as as we define it now. I do. I would support having. A, a, um, I'm very que- uh, questioning government. I don't trust power. I don't whether it's in the form of a government, a religious institution, a corporation, a bank, a nonprofit, NGO, foundation, whatever. Um, but I also believe in the commons. So I believe that there to, to have some kind of uh, arrangement set up that manages the commons and has. You know, like public utilities, 
electricity, those things, I think, function better within whether you want to call it a government or something else. But having something that's that's or that manages all of that, where we all have ownership of it, so to speak, or however you want to frame that, but we all have access to it. That it's that it's that it belongs to all of us. So I believe in that idea. Um, but it also, but it's a difficult thing to deal with because how do you create that system without allowing the the that management of it to start to do things that are against the the common good. So it's not an yeah. easy thing, but I don't, I would say that the, the libertarian solution is just, Oh, just laissez faire. Everybody just to go, gets to own everything that doesn't work either. So there's problems on both sides that need to be resolved. And I don't claim to have the answer here, but I do know that there are serious problems with both the, the left so to speak, you know, belief in government to f- solve all these problems, and then also with the the right or even the uh, the capitalist or libertarians who just think that um, business and private ownership can solve all these problems. Then I I had this discussion with a friend one time about like, okay, someone owns a piece of land, you know, like there's let's say there's a valley and then there's two cities, you know, uh, within this valley, and someone owns the land in between these two cities, so they have the right to extort money. Uh, one of my big things is tolls. I can't stand my blood boils when I drive through tolls because it's just to me it's highway robbery it's like who are you you don't have the right you you know this land was given to you doesn't belong to you the money's going to wherever it's not very little Mm -hmm. of it even goes to like actually public things but um so this person gets to own this land in the middle and then he can extort money from anybody that passes through because it's a natural monopoly. And I was like, you think that's a good system? He's like, yeah, I do. And he's like, he can charge whatever he wants. And I'm like, okay. And he's like, but if someone wants to kill him, they can kill him. And I'm like, this is, and then, and then what, then they take over and start charging people. I mean, (laughs) you know, so there's, there's a problem there. I'm not claiming to have the answer, but there's a problem there. So I do believe in, in, you know, I would, I absolutely oppose the government we have. Um, and I don't even have a problem with like not calling it a government, but like some sort of management of the commons, you know, what's what belongs to us all. So there's a difference between the individual versus the collective, and both things are actually really important. It's important to maintain individual rights. It's important to deal with our collective um, welfare and even the welfare of the future generations, you know, like the Native American, you know, the uh, indigenous idea of seven generations, whatever you do, we should think about how this is going to affect. Sure. And we don't, we don't do that. And our economic system, and even like we, we were going to talk about technology, like there's a big problem with technology itself, period. Like the mining, extraction, um, toxic, uh, there's... There's so many problems with technology, the techno- this microphone, I mean, all this technology that we're using. So I'm not, again, I'm not saying I have the answer, but we need to actually address that. That needs to be included in the conversation. And, but they're like, nope, yeah. it's just crypto. Hey, this crypto uses less energy. Well, that's great. It's still a problem. You know, like we need to have our conversations need to incorporate all the different issues that people have. And, and not just like, it's, it's on like a war of attrition, you know, it's like, nope, uh, this is my side and we're going to ignore everything that, that right. um, challenges our position or whatever, you know? 
All right. So I'm just going to uh, address some of the things that you've been talking about. You just said uh, quite a mouthful and I've been taking notes. So I'll try to touch on uh, as much uh, as I can just to give my thoughts. Um, and one of the things is about this term capitalism. Uh, one of the things that's really actually grabbed me, you also mentioned that you think that the, the libertarian idea back in, you know, was is actually a, a philosophy that that can work against this this corporatist system. Uh, if it's if it's properly applied, and I think that's exactly why it's so confusing when people start talking about libertarianism. I mean, my feeling, my actual feeling. I, I just did an interview of, on communitarianism uh, the other day with Nikki Rapina, and uh, we were talking. We got into some of this history. I believe that the the libertarian philosophies of the 18th century were. Uh, it was all about fighting the empire, the British Empire. Uh, and I think that the upper classes, the corporatist class, the, the feudal class, even back then, going back hundreds of years, um, they were frightened about libertarian philosophy. And so they funded this Hegelian dialectic, funded Hegel. I think, I mean, certainly they funded Marx. They, Marx wouldn't be taught in every university uh, around the world if, if the upper classes didn't want you learning about Marx and you're not learning about Austrian economics in any of those universities. You are learning about Marx. So you've got to wonder why, uh, you know, we're not getting the free market perspective, but we are all getting taught about Marx if supposedly this is some great threat uh, to the upper class. And Marx, of course, is the one who coined the term capitalism. And now I certainly think it's unfortunate that it's applied in that anarcho-capitalist context because I don't think it's actually applicable. I think that the term capitalism is a Marxist term and it is describing uh, this centralized economy where the upper classes are able through the use of violence and typically the use of government from, from my understanding of history to centralize the means of production in their hands. Uh, you know, so when you talk about things like the stock market, like I don't have a problem with stock markets in general or buying or selling stocks, raising money through stocks. But uh, we have, by law, one stock market in the United States. And it seems to me like every and certainly every major city should have a stock market. And so when you're investing in the stocks, you're actually investing in your local community. It's just a way of investing in your local community and helping local mid-sized businesses uh, to expand. Um, so again, we're, you know, we're just talking about the centralization of power. And then, and then when people start thinking about, and most libertarians even, certainly most Republicans, they think the corporations are part of some kind of free market. Like, where did that come from? That was actually a big aha moment for me to come to the recognition that the corporations are clearly part of this. And now, now I've done even more historical analysis of very clear to me that the corporate system is just a part of of the same uh, system of empire, the same system of colonialism that's been going on for three or four or 500 years. I mean, this is something that started in feudal Europe and it was the way that the feudal lords centralized markets and, and created monopolies. Um, and now it's grown into this transnational corporate system. And most of those corporations make most of their profits off government contracts. They don't even make most of their profits off off of uh, selling to you and I and all of the goods and services that we buy from them. It's all part of this government corporate that to me uh, clearly ties into imperialism and colonialism and has grown out of Europe and Europe's way of 
colonizing the rest of the world and imposing uh, monopolies and centralized economies uh, all over the world uh, that cut out, you know, any kind of, it, it's certainly not free trade in the libertarian sense. And the corporate system is, is that's what it is. It has nothing to do in my, in my view now with libertarianism uh, and libertarians who feel like corporations are somehow part of a free market as opposed to government. Uh, I think they're just misinformed um, and they should really rethink their position because it, it, it people who believe in, in individual liberties and people who believe in, uh, in free markets uh, should by definition be anti-corporate um, because the corporations and the government, they work together to centralize the means of production. This, these are the tools that the wealthy elite, the colonizers, the empire builders have been using for hundreds of years to, um, to amass wealth beyond their value. Right and to steal wealth from from the from everybody else, um, so that's a really important point to make. And I don't even really like to use if I use the word capitalism, I'll say crony capitalism or monopoly capitalism uh, to to distinguish it from any kind of a system that's really talking about a free market. And even like you brought up NAFTA earlier. Uh, NAFTA, it's hilarious. They put free trade in in these bills, and they're not about free trade. These are deals between corporations and governments to to monopolize resources, right? <laughs> it has nothing to do with free trade, which free trade is what happens when a person makes a deal with another person to trade their labor or trade their, you know, a resource that they've acquired for for something else that's of value to them. Um and and so these thinking of things in these larger, I don't know, within the larger context, even I just want to throw out the, the Hegelian dialectic altogether because it makes it, it, it creates this feeling that we're all, not only are we fighting against each other, the, the Hegelians versus the Marxists or, you know, the right versus the left, but it makes us all think that we're all a part of this huge historical evolutionary process that's sort of predetermined. Uh, and I don't feel that way. I think that we all create our own lives based on our individual choices. Uh, and that's, you know, that's the kind of political philosophy that we need to start building upon where people recognize that that individual sovereignty is just the reality of of what life is. And I, you know, I do hear you when you talk about the community, um, but I have some concerns because to me, to me, the community is an idea. Like we can all have an idea of what would be best for our community, but ultimately individuals make choices. Um, and so, you know, we can talk about community welfare. I'm not saying that such a thing doesn't exist, but I am saying that it, it's, it's a dangerous ground. I mean, I guess from my point of view, protecting the individual's right to make choices is what's best for the community and but if, that's not absolute though i mean you don't have you know the choice if someone has the choice to set up a system where they get to create money uh or you know let's say they created a cryptocurrency but they have a lot of cryptocurrency mm -hmm. they have a lot of power over others and so they can individually make a choice to uh, level a forest or po po pollute a river or something like that Right. Uh, you know, I, I'm not down with that. And I don't think it should just be like no. a Wild West sort of thing. We're like, OK, um, 
well but having, again having some you know, sort of structure to deal with that makes a lot of sense it doesn't it's not a you know you, you know you either have like no government or you're gonna have like totalitarianism it's like that's just not really the case you can have you know but i think having it be based on human beings that actually have re- real relationships with one another right so i'm real big on the local thing you know i'm not real big on like people that are far away in washington dc or now in uh, davos switzerland making decisions for the rest of the world i'm absolutely opposed to that um i do think having like some sort of constitutional foundations like okay here's the basic rules like real minimum basic rules for us to go by as a society i don't think that's Mm -hmm. a bad idea um but other than that i'm really uh, you know i think local people if you know you're not going to shit where you eat you know it's so that, I don't know if that was a good right. analogy. <laughs> well, you know what I'm saying? I, I like people I... care about their own communities. You don't need to like, you know, ha- have a exactly. law for them to like not destroy their wh- where they live. You know, typically, and and we, you know, people look at poor people and like, oh, look how dirty they are. It's like, yeah, it's because they have no they have no ownership or control over their own lives. Like they don't give a fuck, you know, because they've they, everything's been taken from them. You know, um, right? But you well, I think there's a lot of truth to that. You mentioned person to person, so but that's not what we have here, and that's one of my problems with economists in general. Because I think economists are scoundrels. I don't care if you're left or right on that, um, because they're not dealing. They're dealing in theoretical models. Uh, you know, the book, the first book I read on economics was uh, the Worldly Philosophers, which goes into Adam Smith and Karl Marx and um, who are some of the other ones. Um, I should I should grab I still have it back there somewhere. Um, I should revisit mm-hmm. it, but it goes into the philosophy, and that's the problem with a lot of this stuff is it's built on theoretic theory. So in theory, you're right, person to person, market, supply and demand. There's all sorts of ideas that make sense logically and theoretically, but they're not actually how the real world works. And we're what we're dealing with are not actual individual human beings, person to person, doing exchanges. We're dealing with corporations whether it's small corporations or large corporations human beings are almost like they're just nothing in this whole system and then you you mentioned stock you know you can have stocks to invest in the local community well stocks don't the exchange of stocks for, for the most part don't doesn't even go to the company it's the it's it's this market that has nothing to do with the actual real goods and services economy it's it sits on top of it but the initial stock offering does go to the company and helps them start their company but beyond that like yeah there'll be dividends or whatever in stocks but a large chunk of stock trading has nothing to do with any actual markets there's markets on speculation and that should not exist. That's just completely absurd. And so, anyways, I wanted to throw those two things in there. Right. I mean, I think you and I do have a little bit of a disagreement. I, well, I think where we do agree is that everything should be very decentralized. Um, I, you know, to me, that's the actual. I mean, that's the real. I'm with you there. Uh, gist of the conflict, right? Is we've got the people that want the one world government because they think there's a one truth. And then if and then they, you know, they want to impose that truth on everybody else. This is the most efficient system. Everybody has to use this system because our our experts designed the perfect system. And um, and that worldview just doesn't really hold for me, because just like you said, how does somebody in Davos, Switzerland know what's best for me here in, you know, with my family here in California? I mean, in our community here, they just don't. Um 
And so I, I think we agree on the decentralization part. I feel like if things are decentralized, then I don't, you know, for one thing, I try to, to detach myself from what may happen. I mean, if we lived in a completely free society, I think there will be stock markets and I think there would, would be currency exchanges like, and, and these exchanges in my mind, I mean, the, if they exist, they serve a function for somebody. Uh, and I can argue about what function that may be. Um, but you know, I don't, I don't think you would even, I mean, we've had this conversation before, but I don't think you would advocate for using violence to stop people from purchasing, you know, a stock or a cryptocurrency or whatever. Ever might try to tell them if it's a free society, you know, things will happen that maybe I don't want to participate in, but other people are participating in. And I, I don't, I, I believe that things like stock markets or currency exchanges would be sort of naturally forming and existing enterprises. And I do hear, um, your, your criticism in that it, it seems like it's just speculative and it has no value. I feel like they actually serve the purpose of keeping things honest. And I know that sounds, <laughs> that sounds crazy me. to you. Yeah, I know. Well, I know but it's I know not, it it's not just crazy. You, it doesn't align with reality. Like, I mean, we have to, we have to base our views on what actually happens like you know empirical evidence like what is what what do you say to back that up well i mean if people if people are trading currencies and somebody tries to inflate their currency to create a monopoly market then that currency turns into crap on the currency market that's and not so true it stops. that's that's not true though i mean time and time again we have and the whole whole thing is built on inflation and it's still floating you know it's still doing his thing. It's like, it's, it's not, there well, is no, there sure, are no sure. market corrections. This whole thing is built on fraud. It's well, that's, <laughs> that's currently the sure with a centralized system, of course. I mean, that's why they centralize power. So they can inflate the currency to no end. It's and, not and just a central. I mean, I agree it's centralized, but it's not just centralization. You can have like, you can have the snake oil salesman and you can have the charlatans get away with a lot of shit, <laughs> mm -hmm. but, but, and I'm not saying, you know, you're going to have that fine, whatever you have, you have crooks out there, but to have it institutionalized, even privately is a problem. Now, how to deal with that? Like I said, I don't really, I, I, I I'm not saying coming in with violence to stop it, but not endorsing it because <laughs> it's not a good system. You know, it, it, it extracts what it really is, is about power. Who has the power? I own a stock. I own this piece of paper that says I own XYZ. I own this land, uh, this business, this resources. So it's a claim on it's a claim on 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 power, essentially. And which is removes removes the power away from the actual people who are doing the work, who are actually creating things, who are actually coming up with the inventions or whatever. And then we can get into well, how, how, and then we can even get into how markets, um, you know, the the ecology and the and things that don't have a, a actual voice or say in this whole situation, are just railroaded uh, within that system because you have your right is through property. So I own this stock, therefore I have the right. It's giving you all these rights that you a lot of them you really shouldn't have, and we shouldn't accept that that's acceptable. You know, as a society, as a culture, you know, 
I'm not saying we necessarily need laws. I'm just arguing that because I believe in free will, but I'm arguing that that's not a good idea. That's not a good system uh, to uh, to operate, to have our relations based be primarily on markets and money. However, that money comes into being and is created. You know, that doesn't mean that it can't be um, used. But I just wouldn't. I don't. I wouldn't build the whole society around that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, fair enough. All I'm saying is that I think there probably would be currency markets so that if I, you know, if I was using my local currency and I wanted to go to the city, I might trade some of my local currency for the city currency or a currency that was popular there. And I don't, you know, I just don't see a problem with that. And also if, if people choose, I mean, my I guess my point, Jason, is if others, if enough other people choose to participate in that kind of a thing, I mean, I'm not going to you know, I'm not going to call out the cops or, or the army. I'm not, I'm not arguing them. to use right. violence. To, I, I'm just arguing that it's not a good system. You have, I mean, sure. money, money is a fiction. And I think that our, our, we shouldn't base our society uh, around fictions. It, sh- it needs to be a, a based around the, the real natural world, real relationships, right. real people, real communities. And and you're 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 taking this fictional thing and then you're you're making um it it become a prerequisite for other things. It's a mediator. You're you're having this fiction become a mediator, which I mean, so you have different currencies that that like how I've yet to find a currency that is really, really great. I like the idea of time banks because that's really that's core. Mm-hmm. That's like, okay, I did this I you know, you come up with a a value that uh, everyone's time is worth the same, and then I, I did. I put this much time into to this thing to create this, and you can include the education involved with, with, you know, what that was done. But I like that because it's it's the most fundamental. Or mutual credit systems. I like that idea, and then, and then it's just a matter mm. of having a ledger, uh, but having it having the value be the actual value that people create. Not we created this value that's a fictional value through money. Now you guys can all do what you need to do. Now, in some cases, that I could see a use for that. Like within the government, I actually do think that that could be useful, where you you can fund roads and 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 different projects through fiat money, government created money, um, and then the people, and it goes to the people that actually do the work. So there's the value that's there, and you're just, um, anyways, it's it's complicated, but. There are definitely problems I, I guess, with with money in general. Even I mean, there's even some people who who've talked about different ideas of not having money at all. Which I'm I'm open if we can come up with other ways to to do what we need to do. Um, I'm open to all sorts of ideas. Right. Well, I mean, I, I get that, but I just and 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 even if you don't want to use money, that's fine with me, right? But I think a lot of people will, and so you might just have to learn to live with the fact that some people are going to, you know, use it to me. It's well, just yeah, a tool. But I mean, people are going to kill people and people are going to rape people like, and I'm not comparing that. I'm, I'm just saying that my argument isn't that people will do stuff. Like I'm just arguing that it's not a good thing. <laughs> I don't think it's, it's, it's a really tricky thing trying to figure out how to create a, a, a good monetary system I don't even have the answer to, to what's the best system yeah. out there, but I, I do see major problems with building your whole society, and that's, I guess, one of the major differences that I have with like a lot of libertarians, or at least the capitalist uh, libertarians, is that 
you know, all of human relations and our relations to the earth and ecology and, and future generations should be mediated through markets. And again, I'm not arguing for a law against it or anything. I'm just arguing that there's a problem there, right? <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, I guess, um, you know, one of the things that comes to mind is uh, a lot of our relationship, I mean, certainly our relationship with money in in this culture right now is dysfunctional. So, you know, I, I, I just don't want to project that onto the potential in a free society, you know, with maybe a healthier relationship. When I think about money in a free society, I and so first of all, you know, I think you and I agree that the Federal Reserve and the debt based fiat, the centralized system creates artificial scarcity. So there's not and, our, as and much artificial money. abundance. Uh, for, for for those a certain yeah, class of people for those on the top i mean you have right. access they're, they're to credit clearly, you know you can do a lot of damage <laughs> right right so let's uh you know if we have a if we have a world where that artificial scarcity is not allowed to be created we don't have a centralized system anybody can create a time bank in their in their neighborhood and start trading you know work hours uh however they want and then and we could just start building it from there. You know, there's a thousand different ways to make currencies, actually, not not just cryptocurrencies or or printing money. But I mean, people used to use sticks. People have used tobacco leaves in the past. People have used shells. Right. I mean, you know, uh, yeah, but the time I will, bank I that will argue describing. that a so, lot of the, the a lot of the stories that are told in economics courses are just made up. They're just made up stories. And so that's why I really mm -hmm. like that, you know, the whole. There's a really great chapter in David Graeber's book called The Myth of Barter, and it, it really, you know, a lot of the foundation is like, a, based on the assumption that societies have always operated on market-based relations, uh, you know, mm -hmm. so they, and they just did barter, and but it got too complicated because I have a cow and you have chickens, and how do we trade this? That's a completely fictional story. There's not, it's not even connected to reality. That's never existed. There's no documented documented evidence of any society that operated on barter. That doesn't mean people didn't trade occasionally uh, things, but what what really happened was in these particularly these smaller you know communities where people just helped each other out. People came together without any incentives of money or anything sure. like that, they had the incentive of community and the incentive of, hey, we need food, so let's grow some food so we can eat. And then we all shared it. So it, like uh, societies, you know, from the anthropological um, evidence, existed more on a gifting uh, type of economy than a market economy. Yet economists want, sure. us, want us to believe that we are fundamentally just about trading and, 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 and getting into like the problems with even viewing the world through numbers. Like how much did you give me versus did I get enough for what you got you and, and, and you know, keeping a record and keeping a tally that actually changes your relations with, with, with your family, with your, with your neighbors, with your community, um, right. with, with ecology. And so there's something like fundamentally wrong about viewing the world through like numbers as, you know, you know what I mean? Well, I mean, I guess there's another, well, first of all, I guess maybe I'll, I'll finish my point of the way I think money could work in an abundant economy. Um, 
uh, which you're breaking is, up real bad. I, I just wanted to finish up the uh, my concept about living in an abundant society and how money would be would be f treated differently. I think if there was plenty of it going around, and if you know, if the people who are you know quote unquote on the at the bottom of our society still had plenty of money to get whatever healthcare they wanted and educate their children however they wanted, you know. Um, I think that it would really transform a lot uh, about our relationship with money. And I, the, and then in that case, I look at money as a way uh, for people to vote on what they enjoy. It's actually a, instead of going to the voting box and then voting for a politician that, that says we need, you know, we need more cars and so, or we need to build more roads. And so you vote for the politician and then they go and then the government prints the money and the politicians vote and, you know, they build a road. You know, we just, have the money and we and we pay for joining the road collective or whatever it is we pay to help to build whatever you know or whatever good or service we like we like the phone with you know this attribute instead of that one and so we're willing to pay a little bit more and what i like about it is instead of voting yes or no you also get to vote how much you like it if you like it enough to spend you know a lot on it then People are like, oh, you know, people are willing to spend a lot on this. They like it. And maybe I'll make more. It's it's kind of a way to decide the direction that your community is going to go in, you know, without having to have a big group meeting and, and have some kind of conversation. All you need to do is vote with these, you know, tobacco leaves that you have or whatever kind of money it is that you're that you're trading. And well, that so helps your community to be able to decide the direction that it, it's headed, you know, the kind of culture that you want to participate in. Um, so I think it can have a positive function if there's plenty of money and if it's not centralized in, in the hands of the few. I mean, I actually kind of, you know, one of the things that comes up for me a lot when we have these discussions, I think sometimes it's like you were talking about technology earlier and, and the conversation about technology we're going to dive into deeper in this show i'm sure in the future as well because this is a big one um a lot of times the the bigger the tool like the more important the tool then the the more powerful of course you know the more powerfully it can be used for evil as well as as for good if we want to make that duality um, so we see in this society where, you know, the empire builders, the, the patriarchal system, as I call it, um, have really taken control. Well, they're going to take control. They, they're going to take control of the money system because it's a super powerful tool for control. And they're going to take control of the technology. And that's what we've seen. I mean, the technology is built by these upper class people <laughs> and then they disseminate it to us, you know us in the plebeian class at their will. So we don't, we're not deciding, you know, what technology should be developed. We don't get to decide how much to pay necessarily. I mean, there's a, some semblance of a market where the new TV comes out and it's really expensive, but you know, the technology inside that new TV came from DARPA and was funded in a classified, you know, operation and the military have been using it for 10 years before the upper classes or who, you know, I don't, I don't, I can't even speculate on how technology leaks from these government facilities or, you know, these classified places to, into our, into our economy and they control it using what patent rights and intellectual property, which I agree with you. The intellectual property thing is crazy. I think if somebody buys, uh, you know, if you buy a few,
buy a computer and you back engineer it your own, and then you should be able to sell that because you've learned how to build it. You figured it out. So, yeah. Well, the thing about uh, money though is like how, how it's created and what it represents is extremely important. So if you have someone that, that creates a money and he convinces everyone to start using it at a certain point, that person has an incredible amount of power. And I, I'm, I don't want anyone to have very much power. And also someone well, has money and they make, they vote and a whole bunch of people have money and they vote to buy something that is environmentally destructive or exploitative of, of other people's labor um, who, you know, based on this, this fiction of money, there's a problem there. I'm not saying I have the answer, but there's a problem there that needs to be addressed. Sure. Um, I mean, again, you know, if, if we lived in a society where people are, are individuals and they're able to protect themselves and this kind of like, I know you were talking about the comments. We have this disagreement here too, where I feel like there is a place for a, a property rights system. And we've had, we've talked about this cause I call it, I prefer to call it stewardship rights. I don't think we can own the mother earth, but I think we can take care of her and how one way that we might be able to do that is to you know, have a, a boundary around our living space. And if uh, someone engages in toxic trespass, uh, so some poison from their facility gets onto our property or gets onto a, into a creek that gets it onto my property that I'm stewarding, uh, I have a, a legal recourse to go to that person and say, you know, you've got to clean this up. Yeah. And I have um, no issue with that and- at all. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's I, a good self-defense I, I, mechanism. I, I would support having laws. And again, like it requires some kind of a government to do this. But I think it does make sense to have some sort of mediation and some sort of basic ground rules. But having giving people exclusive rights to a certain piece of land for their living or for a business that they're running or something like that. So it would have still many of the same attributes of property. It just wouldn't have that... Um, you know, absolute right to use and abuse as they see fit. In fact, I have an interesting, it's really hard to read about property rights, but I have a book called um, The Land We Share, and it kind of goes into how it was really the industrial revolution that changed this idea about property as having, you know, being more rights-oriented rather than rights and responsibilities. Because, you know, even when the U.S. Right. was founded, it was, you had just as much responsibility as you as you had rights. You know, you couldn't, and there were issues like you couldn't just poison this, uh, this river, do something that was going to affect your neighbor. And then the, the, law, the laws were there to kind of mediate that. Yeah. Uh, not to say that system was good either. I'm just saying that well, the idea, the industrial age, they said, well, our, what, we're need, what we're doing is, is so needed for the war effort and so, you know, for you know, sure. society and civilization that we need to have laws that give us uh, more absolute rights to basically use and abuse. And that's what happened is, is this, I, the concept of property as we see today uh, is actually fairly new. It's, it's less than 200 years old. This idea of, yeah, uh, I own this and this is mine and I can do whatever the fuck I want with it. That's actually a pretty new idea. So I would still have those, you, you'd still have like some exclusive rights for somebody, but it would be based on them as a human being I have a home and it's my right to live. Therefore, that's why I have, not because I paid money for this thing 
therefore my right is based on this money that I paid. No, the rights are well, because sure. I'm a human being and I have a right to live. That's where the core of the right comes from. Not the property is like displaces that. It's like it's not. It's like rather than going directly, like you have a right to live as a human being, and you're living in this. You're living here in this house, and therefore no one has the right to trespass upon you. Um, versus I paid money for this thing and I'm not even living there. This is my second home, um, you know, like whatever, like, but I have a right to, so the military and the, or no, I'm sorry, the, the police are going to protect this property, not based on any human rights, but based on the rights of money, the rights of capital. So, you know, it's a different orientation. Right. Well, that's an interesting point because I certainly, I mean, to me, any concept of property rights grows out of uh, that concept of, of everyone owns their own body and it's not even i mean even to use the word ownership not even like you that know, everyone has right everybody has bodily autonomy everybody has individual that. sovereignty that's all that i'll say and then anything that grows from that is just to me a system of self-defense uh, against toxic trespass or against and and so um you know, that's where property rights and like, that's why I want to change the name to stewardship rights. I don't think we have, I mean, I don't want to call it property or ownership. These are all patriarchal terms and it gets into the idea of slavery. People think that slavery, you know, when you start talking about property rights, a lot of people say, well, that just justifies owning another human being. Well, no, you can't no, own them. You the can rent concept. them. You can rent them, but you can't own them anymore. With, with their consent. I mean, you can, but consent you know, is, you can trade consent with them. Is a, 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 kind of a questionable thing. So you have a situation where someone is really desperate and they're poor and they, they can't do anything without this fiction called money. And, sure. and and they don't happen to be the creator of the money. So let's say it was even a private cryptocurrency that was created that everyone had decided to agree with, but this person doesn't have any of that. So they're in a situation where their choice, you know, your choices are, you know, become much more limited. You know, you can, you can starve yeah. and die. And we're going to see that happen actually with the COVID thing. If they start to exclude people from, sure. uh, from society because uh, they're not obe obeying uh, orders or whatever, um, you can, you know, so you don't have, is your, is, is that really a choice? Like your choice is to starve and die or do what the person that has money tells you to do. Well, absolutely. And I, and I think that again, a lot of these problems, I mean, when you talk about like the person who creates the money is going to have the power, well, in a free society, everyone can create, anyone can create money. And so if somebody, but if everybody's not using, it's pointless. Like, I, Hey, you know what? Like I don't have any money well, right. and, and, but I have a skill and talent, but nobody wants it. So I'm going to create money but I'm the only one that's using the money. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't, it's meaningless. So just natural monopoly, you know, natural monopolies. Well, tend but to what form I'm saying, but I don't, I don't think money would, could possibly be a natural monopoly because you could easily create any kind of, you know, you could create this time-based money system that you're talking about. You can, you can use anything for money. And so if, if there's a scarcity of, of money in the money supply from a monopolist, who's trying to hoard the money, then create another currency. And I think communities could have multiple kinds of currencies. I actually think in a free society, each industry would probably, there would be industry currencies where, you know, if you're in the alcohol business, you trade in, in, you know, but you're going to get skimming and you're going to get corruption with the exchange of those currencies. And we've talked about this before, but the, the problems, you know, I want to just keep things to its core. Like what do we want to accomplish? I want, you know, people to be able to um, 
everyone should have a home. You know, like it's ridiculous that there are people that that don't have homes. Um, even yeah. if they're even if it's home, like, hey, I'm gonna grab some two by fours and I'm gonna grab some pallets and build a little shack out of pallets that I found or whatever. You know, but like, right. Um, so what do you want to accomplish, and then build go out from there? But I forgot. I, I forgot what you just said. The last thing you had just said, I was going to respond to it. But go ahead. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess my again, my feeling is that like once you decentralize everything, it, it would just be amazing. I mean, to me, then human ingenuity can kick in, and there's all kinds of ways to build a house, and there's all kinds of ways to. And I, I think the trading of currency, if you don't have a scarcity in the currency, it's if there's plenty of money and it's easy to come by plenty of it for everything that you need uh, with whatever skills you have. If you have any skills at all, you know, that you can contribute to your community, then you're going to be well taken care of. Um, and then the money just becomes a I, th where I think does it the solves money a lot from? of these problems. Where does this money come from that there's plenty of money for everything? Well, it can come from anyone who's interested in being a money creator. I mean, you can come up like again. I mean, but I it think there would be work. multiple. I mean, if everybody has their own money. That just doesn't even. It's it's not even functional. Like that doesn't even work. You know what I mean? No, I mean I I'm not saying every individual has their own money. I'm just saying if there's a problem with the scarcity and the money supply, then somebody will come up with an alternative currency to to make yeah. up for the gap. When I I'm a big and, believer and, in complementary currencies. Uh, to to be yeah, counted, there's got to be more than one to count. But but there I. I think the there more are currencies, the better. Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go that far. I mean, for for a currency to function, it does have to have some kind of uh, a little bit of a monopoly, really, because it it actually functions. But it needs. Well, well I, I would treat it more like a public utility. So the questions involved there, like I I do believe in government money. I think money should be a, a gov government issued, and it should have just a value. It should be issued based on the actual value that people create. So if I create value, then the money comes based on the value that I created. So like it'd be closer to a, like a mutual credit system and the government's there just to keep track of like the ledger. Uh, Cause that's all, all money should be is a ledger. You know, I did this, I have a well, credit, you have a debit, like that's what money should be. And then there's things yeah. where you create credit, you know, by government create could create money for things that, you know, you just, you have big projects like a road, you know, public transit or road or the internet or something like that that you want to do that they could actually create the money for but there's a problem there too you need to create a system that really deals with checking power and making sure that um that it's not abused obviously we don't want money being created for war and shit well like i mean that. that's and that's my concern about having the government create money at all is that isn't that going to be that's going to be the tool that's used to centralize and the and the people that control the money creation that can you know the control the government are going to be the ones i, I want to well I'm, i, I would actually that up, my, but I my, address... the system that i have in mind actually it's it, i'm still working on it <laughs> but the system yeah. i have in mind would we we as human beings would we individuals would still be able to create the money through the government it's just a, it's just the government it's just basically basically like the accountant for us they're just basically keeping sure. track of it well because, I, but, I but do, private because you have the same problem that you have with private you know abuse as you would have with the government abuse you you think that it doesn't exist because it's private it's it still exists there if you have a if you have a private institution that's that's doing it they can abuse it just as much as the government can abuse it but at least with the government you have well, this idea where um the people can actually that actually have ownership of it. It's not like, oh, well, that's you know, I can just go to another currency. You can't just jump to another currency if that's what everybody's using. It's not, you know what I mean? 
Well, except I think you can create another currency if the currency that's being used is not working effectively. As long as there's not a government that's stopping you because it's got a, a control over the violence and it's creating a monopoly in the in the money system. So, yeah, well, and I'm not uh, you know what I see. I'm wanna... not arguing against having complementary currencies. I'm just saying we need to be smart about it. And I do believe having a foundation, like I, I do believe in a government issued money, kind of like greenback idea. But, but I would do it differently than than has been done. The only government, the only government money that I, that actually the government would create in the system that I have in my mind would be for public service, public works, really, and to, and to, and to, and the basic management of the. The, I, I don't even like you know the government. We can don't even have to call it a government, but you know this yeah. this body that deals with the commons, this that that we all have ownership of, uh, and even that word, like our language is just dysfunctional. We don't have the words to really talk about what I'm I know. thinking and feeling. But but what I'm saying is, as as an accounting, it's just an accounting. But there is there is a value in having that being kind of centralized because you can have it's like standards like you you know it makes sense that everybody knows like whether it's the metric system or here we have inches or whatever but it's you know everybody yeah. if you're building houses everybody's going using the same standards for this is this is what this value is and and so we sure. would still you know the, the government would issue the money but we would actually be creating it if that makes any sense it's it's not an idea that's even out there right now it's just something i've yeah. been thinking about well, I, I think it makes a lot of sense to um, to talk about money as credit, and it could be as simple as having a ledger. Well, that's, there's it two have separate to be, things. Yeah. But I wouldn't even say credit. I, is it, though? I mean, it, it's it's all just about kind of keeping track of, like, I feel like I've put this much into something, and well, you owe I me this, and that's really yeah. all it is. Well, and that's a challenge because, you know, it is a, it's an agreement of, you know, like, I did this, and therefore... Uh, I did this for you, so I have a yeah. credit, and you have a debit. That's it's called a mutual credit system. But I think it's, and there there yeah. aren't there there are problems with that as well. There's problems with literally any idea you come up with within this frame, especially money. It's it's a very complicated thing because there is nothing that well, is, is is devoid of problems. That's why I think it's important that all of these ways are tried concurrently. Like, there's no reason to have only one way, or you know, we can I have wasn't. multiple different ways, and then and then. Well, right. But I just I wanted to address your problem about about the standard, because it's true. You know, most people in your community need to agree that a certain currency has a certain value or else what's the point in trading it? But I think that there are, you know, there are ways to create these standards that are evolutionary. It's not like one person says or a government or an organization says this is the standard. It's just like like. If I'm trading in, in, in my, my local small community only has two or three currencies and, and we trade happily with, with, with those currencies or, and one of them is pretty dominant and everybody's happy with the way things going, but I want to travel, uh, to, uh, the big city and I need to compare the value of my local currency for versus the value of the currency that's, you know, used in the big city or whatever. And maybe, so maybe there'll be like a, you know, a gold standard where my local currency can buy this much gold. And so I'll buy that gold, you know, and then I'll travel to the city and I'll sell that gold for the local currency in, in that city um, or something like that. I mean, I think 
in, in the terms of the cryptocurrency, this looks like what Bitcoin is going to be used for, right? It's not, it's probably not actually going to be spent. It's just going to be a, a store of value and other currencies can be compared with it. Um, you know, the way platinum and gold and silver are kind of compared with each other. Um, and the, and then the values are sort of evolutionary, you know, as they, as but they the happen and they, they create what? the standard values based on well, what, I mean, Bitcoin, I what think... is that value based on? That, I mean, this is the ultimate question when we're having this currency conversation, right? What is the store of value? What is how much, what is worth how much? <laughs> well, and even gold, I like think, that became a thing, not because bold, right. gold has any real value. Gold has limited actual value. It's like pretty, people like to make jewelry and it's got, it's got some, a little bit of value within like maybe electronics or something, but it's it, it had value because the the king or you know whatever declared like this is valuable and then they started to extract it so like the whole gold thing is just crazy and that's even manipulated you know but uh, i sure. want the value to be based on you know the healthy community and what people are actually yeah. doing and i agree well, with you it needs to be decentralized but i think there's yeah. a way that, that you know you can have a, a government or what you call it something else management of it that's still allows people access to it like the government manages you know we still have some public lands but like i can go out and i just got back from camping on public lands and i just i, I had access to it um and you know there were there were roads there that were created and maintained by the blm or whatever uh, you yeah. know and so i still have access to it i still have access to use it electric i think electricity should be a public utility as well but yeah, I mean, I guess just to go back to the idea of, of what is value, I mean, the problem to me is that every individual has a different definition of what's valuable to them and how much they're, how much value it's worth to them. And so that's, I mean, when that's when I talk about decentralization, I mean, I think that means decentralizing these choices all the way down to the level of the individual. And then the end of, you're the only one that can decide what has value to you when I agree and how that much the individual value it has. And I agree that if we did strip out these institutions, the banks, the corporations, and it were just individuals, if, if we're just talking about individuals, uh, that's, of course, not what's going to happen. You're going to have for, formations of, of, of groups, and then you're, there's going to be hierarchies yeah. within that, and then they're going to use money to amplify that hierarchy. hierarchy. Um, but I mean, if we're just talking about individuals, I totally agree with you. But we're not just talking about individuals. We're talking about institutions which are which are formed and and that end up creating uh, having power. And so, whatever right. system we come up with, and again, I don't claim to have the answer. Like I'm, you know, just trying to figure this out myself. But whatever system yeah. we come <laughs> come up with needs to have like, uh, you know, it, power should never be concentrated anywhere. And and also, it, right. and, and our activity shouldn't be centered around fictions. And at the end of the day, money is a fiction. It can be a useful fiction if it's done uh, intelligently. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I really yeah. want the I, I really want the the activity to be the center of it. That's why I'm I kind of lean more toward like a gift economy type of approach because you have this and you end up having this third third factor. This um, th these mediators end up having more power over the actual people that are you know right cre creating value I, I guess for themselves you, and the community it's, it's 
It's funny because you call money a fiction. I, I look at money as the energy of an economy. I think it's, I don't think it's, a you know, I, and my, and my concern actually is the opposite. Like, I think the idea of community is a, is a fiction in the, in the same, See, you know, I right? totally, what's best I, for the that's community. Interesting. This it's is, like, this is getting to something here because that's, yeah, that's yeah. interesting. I think community is real. And, and money is a fiction. Money is, you know, Aristotle said it himself, money comes from law, not by nature. It's a contract, it's an agreement, or it's a legal, you know, legal thing, but it's, it's, it's not real. It's a, it's rep it's a representation, whereas community is not a representation. It's, it is real. A community is, is about relationship. You have people that live together, and their relationships to each other and to the earth is, the, is real. Like, you know what I mean? Like, Whereas this other I mean, thing, I, it's, I, it's, this, it's this extracted thing. Money is this ex extracted, uh, separate thing that's, that's rep just like a flag. Like a flag, what is a flag? You, uh, the American flag, to someone that means um, uh, freedom or whatever, like uh, power or whatever. You know, different people have put different meanings to that thing. Right. But at the end of the day, it's just a piece of cloth with ink on it or whatever. You know, it's it's yeah. it doesn't it's it's not a real thing. It's 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 a representation, and so money is not a real thing. It's just a representation. But community, I mean, is a real thing. So that's interesting that that that, that difference there. Yeah, I, I think we can get. I mean, we can certainly get more subtle. I'm not trying to say community doesn't exist, but like, what is the good of the community? Who decides what's for the good of the community? Like, well, well, you know what the, I mean? Collectively, like the, they yeah, decide. community I'm not is saying, an idea, right? I, when I say but community, what? I'm There's not no talking. I'm not arguing for mind. like some some third party deciding for the community community is people getting together and having arguments and disagreeing and agreeing and it's like and then finally saying okay fine let's do this how they deal with the commons now i'm not saying and this is this goes down to the individual rights versus community rights uh which yeah. is you know the community shouldn't have any say on anything that i personally do within my home or that doesn't affect other people that's not doing any harm to anybody um you know like if i want to take you know mushrooms or whatever like the community should like you can't take mushrooms or whatever um but yeah. there are things again it's like delineating what is you know your personal experience that's not doing any harm and then what's actually part of the collective and i i know everybody hates that word collective and i certainly don't agree with the collective in terms of a government per se other than you yeah. know some sign of organ or, or some sort of organized way of a community dealing with the commons um, so like we have this, this forest here, um, it's our shared interest to, to protect that forest and we need to, you know, deal with how, how are we going to manage that? Um, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I guess when I think about things like even when I go out into the community, uh, I still have to hurt someone before I've done anything, you know, b before that person then in my mind would have the right to come a after me you know to come after me for restitution which would be would be among right. you know their right to do and i agree and with i you. don't i totally think... agree with you i'm i'm all i'm all about like everyone you you, you should have the right to do whatever you want to do yeah. as long as you're not doing harm to anybody and but that's the problem you know that's where you get into is is cutting down a, a whole bunch of trees doing harm to someone Right, and then it's not an easy answer because obviously, our just just to live, we're gonna do harm. Like we're, but deciding, yeah. you know, what's an acceptable level of harm, 
You know, like you know, to build a house, you're you're you know you're cutting down a tree and you're taking the the home of a bird or whatever. You know, right. so we're doing just I, to live is does harm. But then the question is, how do we decide? You know, is it just on the individual to decide to do whatever they you know to decide whatever they want? Like there there is, I think there these two things are really important to the 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 individual versus like us coming together. Uh, sure. And and making decisions about. But again, I totally agree with. I, I'm sorry, I totally disagree with uh, the government systems that we've had, whether it be overtly capitalist, uh, socialist capitalist, or communist capitalist. <laughs> and I and that's yeah. <laughs> a, that's another term too, because again, like there is not like the communitarian thing. Nothing is just one thing. You know, it's, it's, there's, it's a hybrid, all these things. It's, you know, the systems that we have are socialist, capitalist, communitarian, or whatever, you know, whatever ism or whatever you want to add to it. It's usually like a whole bunch of things. So it's hard to pin it down. It's kind of like a shell game. Is it capitalist? Like the, the social, the socialist countries in Europe are not straight socialists. They're they're, they're they're still buying from the same corporations, right? (laughs) Right. right, No, I've been, a lot of the interviews I've been doing have been talking about how the left-right paradigm is completely controlled. I mean, even communist Russia, some of the history there and some historians have posited that Wall Street had a lot to do with the creation of of the Soviet Union, and uh, you know the, the United Koch States propped up the Soviet made a lot Union. of their money. The Koch brothers were doing, doing business, business with Stalin. there. Ford was doing business. The Rockefellers were doing business with Stalin. It's clearly it wasn't you know the antithesis of capitalism because then all the monopoly capitalists wouldn't have been over there doing business with those guys. So you know this idea that it's been what what we've been fed is not true. Uh, what's been happening is a group of very rich people controlling the resources and using different systems, call it socialism, call it communism, call it cap corporatism, capitalism, whatever, uh, to figure out how to extract as much as they possibly can from the rest of us. That's the way I look at it. And and that's why I think, I mean, that's why I'm excited to have these conversations with you to figure it out. I, I think the starting point that you and I have gotten with is at least the decentralization of the whole situation. If our community, I mean, when we're talking about good, you know, I can, uh, even when I discuss, uh, you know, that I think what's best for the community is to protect individual liberty. Um, and, and then, you know, when then we have this more nuanced conversation, but certainly each community is going to have to come up with its own ideas of what, what is restitution? Do we have some kind of legal system that determines, I mean, I, you know, I go, I do agree it, with the localization. About, I I believe in people. I don't believe in institutions, whether it's a government, yeah. a corporation or whatever. I believe in human beings. Yeah. And I think if human beings get together, and I, I always talk about human agency, I actually want human yeah. beings to have more agency, which means having more responsibility too for if they do something that's harmful to the community, that, that, that there's, right. you know, there's, there's some some way to deal with that. But, um, but I do believe that like, I, I trust people if, if people are empowered, uh, to have agency and to, and to, which means there's a lot of growing. Cause like, because people have been so conditioned to just people's ideas are not their own people, you know, they, they work for a corporation. So they adopt the ideology of that corporation or government, right. Or, or they watch the news of like they're being propagandized, but if people actually, uh, so it's, it's a difficult thing. Cause like this, this argument amongst the elite 
has been, you know, the more Jeffersonian, we believe in the people and the people should be able to vote and all that. Of course, that didn't include women and people of color or, you know, indigenous people. That aside, right. that's, that's another conversation. But uh, but the idea there, at least on the surface, is that they, you know, there were these two arguments. One is like, no, we need to have an aristocracy because the people are too stupid to make decisions for themselves. Um, and then the other side was like, no, we need to have a democracy. And if people can like, I, I lean more towards the democracy side, but I also, I, I, I have to say that the, the, arist- the aristocratic class argument against the population actually has some truth to it, but the, but they've actually actively promoted that. Like yeah. they, it's like they, no. they actively make dumb people down and then they like, Say, look how and then they complain that they're not are. smart. Yeah, <laughs> but so we need, you know, That's what I mean. The, but and then and then there's yeah, the other problem absolutely. with if you have the aristocracy making decisions for everybody, they they make decisions for themselves at the expense of everybody. So yeah, uh, that was actually the argument in the Wealth of Nations uh, that Adam Smith was really talking about is that you've got to give people individual responsibility for their own decision making process, and then once you do that they will become better people. And that was his, it was like a philosophy of, of virtue, of virtue creation. It was, it was the central thesis. So I mean, people always talk about his economics, but he was really interested in creating better people. And he said, you know, look, if you, if people are controlled and enslaved, then they're going to be dumbed down. Just like you're talking about, this is what the aristocracy does to the rest of us. And and then when we don't have the responsibility to make important choices for ourselves about how we're going to educate our or the type of healthcare that we want, or you know how we're going to treat the environment around or whatever, then over time it's like virtue is a muscle. And if you don't use the muscle because you're just following what the corporation is telling you or the government is telling you, you you lose the the strength to make the those those choices in a good way. And if you have a system of decentralized power and individual responsibility, then people become better over time because that they're required to, you know, if they want to make choices for themselves, they have to, they better do a good job of it. You know? Yeah. yeah. I, think well, I would agree with, that. I would agree with a lot of those principles. I just, yeah. my disagreement would, would come from, you know, doing doing that through markets and money uh, i think there are serious problems with that but we can have more conversations about that and yeah. technology there's there's a lot but i think this is a good start yeah uh, was, for was sure there, was there were there other points that you wanted to bring up for this the only the only other thing that's been coming up for me is we've talked because we've touched a lot on on the corporations and then this kind of idea of institutions and i just wanted to bring up the notion of of uh, workers cooperatives or co-op i mean there's just so many different ways to organize uh important institutions uh you know and and so you know there's a lot of uh area of conversation there i'm sure we could do up entire episodes on different ways of organizing labor groups and around resources so that the workers do get better compensated even if it is i mean it makes sense to me even in a workers cooperative that the you know guy's been working for the company for 60 years and as now as the president of the workers co-op maybe he gets a little bit of a bigger piece of the pie than the, the new but hire who decides that 
Well, the co-op would have to have its own right. way of. So, and I think out, the idea you know, of co-op. I like the different. idea of co-op. In fact, I think everything really should be a, you know. That's the way I am. The, the idea of like yeah. one company owner owning it, that, and that's this goes back to the stock thing. You have like these these owners right. who are not participating in it. I think the only people that, if you are going to have ownership, it should every you know if you're participating in it, you have an ownership of it. And also, if something gets too big. And it starts to have a larger impact, which we need things. There's certain industries that are just naturally going to need to be big because it's right. just the nature of that industry. But at that point, if it becomes too big, I don't believe in private ownership at all. I think that when it starts to have it, because it's when it's large, it has an impact on society and on a much greater uh, degree. So at that point, I think it does need to become kind of like a public utility uh, where we all, you know, because it's, it's something that affects all of us. Therefore, we all have a say in it, essentially. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm skeptical of the public utility idea because, again, then you've got some organization that has some kind of monopoly control over the utility. For sure, but you have that with the private situation as well. It's not like the private situation isn't, that situation doesn't exist. It exists, it exists in both places. At least with the idea of a public utility, you are at least working towards the idea that that peep, the people, now of course we know that yeah. that's not what happens. Governments are corrupt and we need to come up, we need to design this. We don't, well, have, that's to, we don't have to be trapped to all the bullshit we've done in the past. We can actually come up with something new and say, hey, we can learn from all these fuck-ups that we've done and then come up with a new idea. But the idea, yeah. at least you know, with a private ownership, you can still have like bullshittery going on. And but but then they 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 by right of my ownership and my private, you know, you're you have something that's affecting all of us and we should all have a say in it. Like I don't know. I just don't want anything to get too big. I want I really believe in decentralization. And so, well, I'm right there with you. And I and I don't know. I mean, there's a, you know, certainly amongst the real free marketers, it's it's a challenging because they're, you know, one of the one of the big um criticisms of course is that you know, somebody's going to start in a business and then they're going to build and build and eventually they're going to have the monopoly and they're going to control the whole industry and this is the problem. I mean, this is the clever Marxist. And and then from the libertarian perspective, I believe that in a free society without government interaction and without the government use of force to stop competition there would be there would be very 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 challenging to create any kind of a monopolistic situation um and so there's some kind of a ceiling on how powerful people can get even if they have a lot of initial success they they invented the paper clip everybody wanted one uh it would be so easy for somebody else to start making paper clips you know um that I think that that these monopolistic situations or these very large company situations would be few and far between without that centralizing force of government uh, uh, creating an environment that allows that to happen. Well, that, monopoly is, is just one piece of it. it. It's it's also like again, like use of natural resources, use mm -hmm. of space, or whatever. Like there's a lot of issues that affect all of us that. That need to be dealt with, and 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 you, I, I'm not going to disagree with you about the problems with the governments that we've had. Um, I, I think we need to come up with something new that we've never done before, and that deals with yeah. all these problems. But I do believe in a commons. I do think that there's there's a common, uh, and I, I even like that. I don't even like the term commons because it's still built around like a property concept. But I do believe in the idea that there are you know there's a natural there's certain things that we yeah. that are in all of our interests to um 
to protect and also from a from a practical standpoint you know our our internet so our communication grid our energy grid um that's connected and i i do believe more localized but but connected and interconnected um the management of that it just makes it just it just makes sense to have some sort of management of that and you i don't want that in private hands i you know like i want that that we all have you know a say and access in it and it and it and it has to be responsible yeah. to us to the people uh how to do that is a conversation and there's in fact many conversations we could have about how to do yeah, that um, definitely you know, but but yeah, just to say government's want... bad doesn't doesn't automatically mean that the private ownership is good because you can get that um, anyway. So sure, again, the, cent the centralization is always the issue, right? The government is bad to me because it's centralization of the of the force of violence, if you will. It's a monopoly of of the force of of violence, and and then it's easily co opted and corrupted, and that's of course that's true of any private any organization any institution right that can be that can be co-opted and corrupted is going to be it's going to be challenged there's there's i mean we're never going to get rid of all the bad people right there's always going to be people and whatever system you come up and, with is going to have problems there's nothing that's going to be flawless yeah so yeah well and i do ultimately uh, as we have these conversations i mean that is where i come down to is that whatever system it is needs to be um really flexible you know really able to change uh with with the times um and just and and not not super rigid um so that when changes happen that they're willing to it's willing to like adjust and and then uh not not allowing for that centralization that i mean i, I think that's the number one point that we really have i mean that's where you and I really agree, even when we have these other areas where our feelings are like, well, you know, I, I kind of I think money's cool and you really distrust it or whatever. Um, when it if where we agree is on individuals really need to have as much freedom as possible, freedom of choice. I mean, that's, you know, individual sovereignty and then uh, the decentralization uh, aspect, decentralization of power. And as, and as we move and, forward, I think it's really important to d differentiate between an individual human being's individual rights versus any organized, uh, you know, be it a company or, you know, a government. So there's, there's two different right. things there. It's, it's like a oh, lot of, a lot of times libertarians are talking about individuals, but as, as I said earlier, you know, in the, in the reality of it, you're talking about a collection of individuals that, which becomes an entity, uh, in and of itself, and that becomes we need to have we can't we shouldn't be conflating the conversation between what an individual human being does and with what an entity does, you know, because they're two different. One of them has actual power, and so there's a lot of things to 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 dissect there within that. Yeah, a lot of ins, a lot of outs. Yeah, man. <laughs> Was well, it's a good start of a conversation, um, and I, I'm yeah. still I need to work on my articulation of 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 I, I I'm still because it's I don't find any like philosophy that I'm like yes I'm I'm a yeah. Marx I mean I, I Marx actually has a lot of valuable things to contribute in terms of criticism of the system that you know the the, the, the what was what's been called capitalism call it whatever you sure. want but that th his to sit there and just like just dis dismiss marx is foolish because there's a lot of there's a lot of criticism of that system that is dead on 
and totally yeah. accurate and how it was used for the governments that were created. It's a complex thing. I mean, like how many actual Marxists are, are, are do you know that are like operating from Marx himself? I mean, it, it got convoluted over, uh, over time and, and people, when they, when they talk about it, they're, you know, they might be talking about communist Russia and there's a lot of people that would argue that that's not Marx. That's not Marx, sure. even though some of those ideas were marketed, you know, that's not the reality on the ground, you know? Well, it's what's one of the things that's so interesting about talking about all this stuff. I mean, and, and we've discussed this um, prior to this conversation, but defining our terms even has become so difficult. Uh, you know, we've talked a little bit today about like so many people who are libertarians are actually corporatists and they don't even know it. Or when you use the word capitalism, some people are referring to a free market and other people are referring to, you know, this corporatist system. And so they don't even know what they're talking about. I mean, that's why, and I think this is done on purpose. I think that these terms are obfuscated on purpose so that people don't have these kinds of conversations like you and I are having that are so outside of the box. I mean, the, the corporate system, the current system certainly wants everyone to just fall in line. It's fine. If you think like a Republican, listen to Fox news and think like they tell you or a Democrat and, and listen to, you know, Amy Goodman, maybe, or CNN or MSNBC and, and think like they tell you or NPR. Well, controlled opposition is such a useful term because it really does, it's yeah. it's if you if, if not understanding that concept you're you're just you're totally disarmed in in, in right. your ability to understand like how this whole thing operates because the and oh, I wanted to real before we go I wanted to talk a little bit about a little bit more about the Hegelian dialectic because I actually find it extreme yeah. the more I the more I <laughs> grow uh, and think um, the more I more useful I. I that framing becomes to me, which is you have a thesis and then you have its antithesis and together it makes a synthesis. So it's, it's a, it's, it, it makes a whole. So the Democrat and Republican is the thesis and antithesis depending on which side you're on, but they, yeah, they make a whole. And so I'm interested in like, if you're thinking about that issue, we're always on this like, you know, which side are you on? Like this or this, we have these, these binary way of thinking where it's either a one or a zero, or, you know, it's like black or white or whatever. But I'm saying there's, we need to figure out ways to have conversations completely outside of that synthesis. Yeah. You know what I mean? I've been getting to that same exact place and, and I'm surprised that we didn't bring it up today because I was thinking about talking about it, but we'll do it. Um, we were talking about having, um, if, if we can get, if we can find a guest and we can talk specifically about political philosophy, uh, we could spend a lot of time on Hegel because I've been frustrated with And with I haven't his even whole, studied, I've, I, I haven't even like delved into his actual <laughs> like studying Hegel. Yeah. I just I've, have read, read a little bit about that dialectic and I thought, huh, right. that's actually kind of useful. And I might even have a, 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 a an accurate understanding of it but from my yeah. understanding the way that i'm framing it i'm like that's interesting well, because it, it, it's a useful tool for me in in actually trying to understand these conversations that happen in society i actually had a a, a, a script that i was writing where i had two people at a coffee shop and one person's like so are you a democrat and they're like no and they're like oh you're a republican and they're like no 
oh, so you're a Democrat. Yes. And this thing just goes on and on and on. Like the person yeah, right. just, it's like they just can't get a, oh, you're a Republican. You're a Democrat. Okay, so you're a Green Party. No. Oh, so you're a Democrat. So you're, and it's just like this, it's like this endless circle that goes For on sure. forever and ever. So, yeah. um, well, I mean, you know, and talking about uh, talking about Hegel a little bit, but then the left and the right paradigm creates the Overton window that is like the allowable thought. And that's where you and I, I think, are really breaking outside of that window and saying, well, what about everything else in the universe that we could be talking about? Um, I mean, that was one of the things I we've we've talked to because we've both been active in the whole um, monetary theory thing in the past. And I have done some work with uh public banking and it's like even very quickly that was outside of the overton window like this solution was not something that the mainstream was ever going to discuss and it's so frustrating and that's the most frustrating thing i mean probably for you and certainly for me is that a lot of my political solutions are not within the accepted box and so they never they never see the light of day even though i know these would be improvements over the the crap we're getting spoon-fed on the corporate media so you know, this show, I think, as it evolves, is going to be certainly exactly that. We're going to be talking about ideas that are way outside of the Overton window. And um, but there is going to be some real gems, some real solutions that could just improve the lives of so many people. If if we can get more and more people to stop, turn off their TV and stop listening to the mainstream narrative, for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And again, and, and one of my big things is just having a d discourse, having dialogue, especially amongst people who you have political disagreements with that was one of the things yeah. when i when i was showing the films and i was doing events i loved it when there were two people there that had different philosophies because we would have this okay so you know what why do you think that and we would try to you know i would try to facilitate having a discussion about and trying to get to what their actual concerns are and seeing if there right. was some way to that that there might be some sort of compromise or some, you know, at least understanding where the other person is coming from, um, yeah. you know, because of the dehumanization that's going on right now amongst well, others. Uh, you know, if you don't disagree with me, you're evil. Um, exactly. You know, I, Isn't I that, that too. So I, I kind of, especially with what's going on right now, I'm like, <laughs> this shit's evil. But I also have to, I always have to constantly remind myself that the people that are going along with this are doing this from a place of, of real deep yeah. concern and care. They, 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 they just have a different understanding of things. So, right. The challenge. That's just it. I mean, believe it or not, uh, almost everyone is coming from their heart space and they have, you know, they, they, they believe that their ideas are, are the ideas that will help the most number of people. It's, and we've been taught to be in this constant state of conflict and we really, it would be better. It would behoove us all to find that common ground a little more often, at least give people the respect, uh, you know, that they're coming from a good place. It's not yeah. about, we don't have to fight with people who have a different idea of what would be for the greater good you know than we do so and you mentioned for the for the most people uh we we should do a whole show about utilitarianism because i have a whole bunch of issues with that i have a lot of ideas about around you sure the, the challenge the problems with utilitarianism but um anyways there's a lot of places so i mean i'm it seems like you know talking philosophy and economics and a lot there's a lot of different issues and and the idea of like bridging uh you know bridging different people's, you know, ideas and heart spaces or whatever. You know, I have these ideas that are kind of like piecemeal and I'm just kind of trying to cobble them together and still trying to yeah. figure it out. And so like when I'm trying, when I'm talking, it's not like I have this clear, like, 
you know, oh, hey, this is, you know, it's like even with the money thing, it's complicated. It's, there is no, I'm not yeah. like a hard line, like, okay, there's a complication here. Like even with the government, like I'm like, if we have government create money, yeah, there's, there can be some serious problems. So we need to like design, uh, to have the, have it built into where there are extreme limitations on what can and can't, what are the powers that that body has so whatever body whether it's a whether it's a corporate uh, institution uh, or a government institution needs to be restricted so that goes back to the individual like i i don't I, i'm not really i don't care about restricting there's only so much an individual human being can damage one person can do i guess yeah um, yeah i mean they, i guess they can go shoot up a place or something but um but the the once you start to get a uh, a body whether it's a nonprofit or a corporation or a religious institution or whatever it starts to take on power and that's when or a government so i treat i treat the corporation the organization around that the same way i treat would treat a government it's just in different hands. I've been, it's just I, structured differently yeah. you know I'm right there with you. I, I've started to see the corporations like you're right. Like we're not just talking about governments. We're talking about large institutions that have a lot of power. And what do we do about those? It's not just the government. And, and typically, of course, most of these large institutions collude together. And that's where well, you it's, get the, it's, yeah, they're the all working government together. corporate yeah. complex and working with the Vatican, even, you know, or the religious institutions on some level. I mean, they're all. Well, and even if we can figure out a re way to reframe this, because again, when you talk about the yeah. government, what are you talking about? What is the government? Who's writing right. the laws? Are these politicians writing the laws? They're not writing the fucking laws. They don't even read them. They don't even read the shit that yeah. they fucking vote on. It's written by a I corporation. Know, right? So when 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 the libertarians are complaining about the government, shouldn't they also be complaining? I mean, the government is the corporation. They the should corporation be. is the government. Yeah. There, it's it's a it's a sim, it's a synthesis. Going back, you know, to one Hegel. of the things. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things I'd like to get into, too, is I like to talk about things in terms of patriarchy and matriarchy. I think we've been we've got, a, you know, 2000 years of this patriarchal society and figuring out what that is, because I think that's where people are conditioned into a belief system of, you know, this. And I just call it patriarchy. So, like, who are the they? We're always talking about a wire, you know, are all these people involved in, in, in this grand conspiracy? It's like, no, but most people, people who have been colonized, and that's the way I, I view things now, right? Is that if you've been colonized into the patriarchal empire, then you're essentially, you've been programmed with a psychology that says you're not an individual. You're just the cog in the wheel of this patriarchal machine. And what is that? Well, that's the corporate system with the governments, with the religion. And, and they're not even, it's not even one monolithic patriarchy with one guy on top. At this point, there's all these different patriarchal religions and, you know, and institutions that have been over thousands of years evolving. And so like, ultimately for me, if I, if I do anything with this work, it's just to me to chip away from that patriarchal conditioning and then just plant the seed of, you know, and I don't even know what is a matriarchal society look like. You can, I think we can look at indigenous peoples today, maybe and catch a glimpse of, of what it could be or what it is, you know, and what it is for them, but planting that seed of, of having some kind of a, a matriarchal system that could really, you know, be, be the dominant system on the planet and not this, 
this, you know, this empire, this patriarch or whatever. Yeah, that's yeah. the other, that's the paradigm that I really like. And, and then I like to look at people in terms of, have you been colonized into the patriarchy? And by that, I mean, have you been programmed with this belief system that, you know, you're, you're a cog in the, in the hierarchy, in the, in the wheel of the patriarchal system, not just that yeah. guys with penises, people with penises yeah, I don't, are, I don't view this, are on I don't, top, you know? Yeah. I don't view <laughs> right? this as a, as a gender thing necessarily. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, it's an because, archetype. It's a yeah. psychological archetype. And that, yeah. and so delving into that is really, I'm curious about that. I, and I think the solution is, is discovering how, because these matriarchal systems, they know how to live symbiotically with nature. I mean, that's what we're like, right? And then the patriarchal systems are always trying, we transcend nature and we dominate nature. And that's why they're destroying well, yeah, I was thinking, like, there's the two natural kinds of, environment. Yeah, there's like two kinds of mindsets in this world. Well, maybe three. There's one that just goes with the flow, whatever, just it doesn't really have any right but then there's but there's like right. me who wants to you know i want to aid and help uh people be their better selves and uh and i don't want to dominate anyone like i want to even me like i'm very opinionated yeah. um but i want you to have your own opinion and and have your own ideas and i want you to you know obviously i want to make my argument i want you to like I want to have respect. I want to I want to convince you of my of, of my perspective right. or I or I want to be challenged and and then I learn and like oh I'm I want to think differently to get closer to what the actual truth of the matter is. But then there's this class of people and I don't know how many people there are in this world like this but the people who want to dominate others. Yeah. Be it it could be in a, a relationship, a marriage or something like that. There's something Absolutely. about it's, it's control in, and in domination. Yeah. But when you have it within a, an institution, a religious yeah. institution, a corporate institution, a government institution, that idea of domination becomes extremely destructive. And and I, I want to eliminate that dominating. So that's the whole patriarchal thing, that domination uh, yeah. uh, idea or you know practice or whatever. It's a, it's an archetype and it's, I mean, I just did an interview in my psychology of lockdown series this morning and we were talking about the rules of dysfunction and we've, the two rules that we've covered so far are control and perfectionism. And it's just like so classic in our, in our society that these people, I mean, even with the COVID thing, like the scientists are perfect and they have control over all of us because what they say is perfect. We can't disagree and we have to do what they say. And this is classic patriarchal and conditioning, treating, right? Like what? Treating science as a monolithic noun. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I know. I know. It's yeah. not reality at well, all. It's as a if, total as if everyone has independently come up to their own conclusions and then they all agree. I'm like, you don't yeah. understand how the world works. Like it's a top-down system yeah. and the money controls it all like people don't well, that's understand what, that's what boggles my mind like well all these doctors wouldn't think this way except for the few doctors who've spoken up and right. then they got fired right. or arrested yeah. like you're not allowed you to you're like not allowed to challenge are, it <laughs> yeah because they know if they challenge and they're, they're censoring people right and left you know right <laughs> and i, I think, think it's telling on. that there's so many healthcare workers who don't want to get the jab <laughs> you know yeah. Oh, but they're crazy, you know. Should, should be a red flag, right? <laughs> yeah, that speaks louder than whatever statistic the media wants to throw out. Uh, anyway, it's so crazy. Thank you so much cool. for watching. Um, yeah, we'll we'll do this again. <laughs>